Okay, well, we're going to continue in our series in Ruth this morning, and we've called the series A New Hope or A Story of Hope. And when you read through God's Word, it's filled with those kind of stories, isn't it? Um, God doesn't want us to go through life discouraged or worrying or doubting, so he's placed within his Word all kinds of information and really uplifting and encouraging stories for us to give us hope. Last week we saw really a new hope in the lives of both Ruth and Naomi. Their story started off kind of rough, didn't it? Um, But we learned last week that God could change anyone's story. He can, and that's very encouraging. Where we left off last week, both of them sort of had hope again in their lives. Now, um, it's one thing to get hope and to have hope. It's another thing to keep it, all right? It's another thing to maintain it as we go through life. Things don't always happen the way we want them to happen. Things don't always happen when we want them to happen, right? Sometimes we have to do this. We have to wait. Anybody like waiting? Yeah, um, not me. Um, It's a countdown to Christmas, you know, and those of us with small kids or or big kids, you know, um, know that uh, they start anticipating Christmas. Like, they can't wait. Um, Noah got some Christmas gifts on the way back from uh, Thanksgiving break, right? And so we had like a five-hour drive that turned into an eight-hour drive because of traffic. And, uh, you know, he had these presents in the back with him, which I knew was a mistake. Uh, They were wrapped nice and neatly, and by the time we got home, it looked like a dog had gotten a hold of them. You know, and I look back, and I'm like, Noah, what happened? I don't know. (laughs) You know? (laughs) But it's hard to wait, right? We're all sort of like that. You know, we we have trouble waiting. Let me ask you this. How many of you would say that you have hope, but you're sort of in the waiting process? You don't have to raise your hand, but... You know, you, you've got a little bit of hope in your life, but you're, you're sort of in this waiting process. Um, it's hard to maintain hope while you're waiting. So what are we to do while we wait? Well, three things that we're going to learn about today, and we're going to go through this. I'm going to dive right into it because uh, I've got about a three-hour sermon, okay? All right. We'll read through Scripture, okay? And we're going to talk about how this applies to each... each uh, area of our lives, okay? So I want you to write these things down. First of all, take advantage of opportunities. Take advantage of opportunities. Now, at the end of chapter two, we are sort of left waiting, if you read through this. Uh, Naomi and Ruth were waiting. Things were looking up in their lives. Things were looking better for them. But how long would things be like that? How long would things be that way? See, the thing is, the harvest season was ending, right? Uh, Ruth was allowed to work for and with Boaz throughout the harvest. But now that that was ending, what would happen? They were thinking these things. It was coming to an end. Ruth 3.1. One day, Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, said to her, My daughter, I must find a home for you where you will be well provided for. Now Boaz, with whose women you you have worked is a relative of ours. Tonight, he will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. So remember last week, I told you, anytime you see the name Boaz, he's a type of Christ figure in the Old Testament. And so we, we already know this, that Ruth had been working for Boaz. What we don't know is how long. It's, it's at least a few months, really. You know, it's one chapter to the next, but she had been working for months. And here's the thing, Boaz didn't make any moves on Ruth, right? He hadn't, you know 
tried to go after her. He hadn't made any advancement. So what always happens in a case like this? The mother-in-law gets involved. Amen. All right. But no, remember before, um, Ruth helped Naomi, didn't she? Ruth had sort of been instrumental in turning Naomi's life around. Now what did Naomi want to do? Help Ruth out, you see. Return the favor. Uh, Provide for her. Take care of her. She feels like it's her responsibility to get the ball rolling. To get things going here. Naomi had hope again. I want you to see that. She had life again. She went from being bitter to being blessed. She thought that it was time to find a home for Ruth. It's time to give her hope and a life. To have the security of a husband and the blessing of a family. It's time. Time. And she reminded Ruth that Boaz was a relative of theirs. So there's this possibility that Boaz could be the answer to this. That he could help them indefinitely. That he could be their guardian or their kinsman redeemer. And he had the potential to take care of Ruth for the rest of her life. This is what Naomi is thinking. So Naomi, knowing the custom of her people knew that at the end of the harvest, they would be winnowing barley, right? They would be taking the product and finalizing it, getting it in its final form. They're, they're separating the grain from everything else. They're getting the kernels. They're removing it from the husk and from the shaft. And, and they did this at a, at a place called the threshing floor. And it, this was a place usually on top of a hill away from the, the harvest fields. And it was done sort of at a secluded place. And the threshing and winnowing was done at night. And that's simply because the winds blew harder at night there. And it was easier to do that. So Naomi knew all this. She had all this in the back of her mind. She knew this was going to take place. She knew Boaz would be there, right? She knew that if hope was going to continue, that Ruth would need to act. Ruth would need to take advantage of this opportunity, you see. So what was her plan? What was the mother-in-law's plan? Verse 3, wash. That's a pretty good plan, right? Wash, put on perfume, and get dressed in your best clothes. Then go down to the threshing floor, but don't let him know you are there until he has finished eating and drinking. So Naomi told Ruth here to get cleaned up, right? Clean yourself up a little bit. Ruth, take a bath, uh, put on perfume. Remember in this day, no deodorant, you know? No secret. Um, Put... Put on perfume, right? You've got to cover things up, right? Uh, put on a nice outer garment. That's what that phrase, best clothes, means. It means a really nice, appropriate outer garment. Get ready and make yourself presentable. Make yourself attractive is what Naomi is telling her. And um, here's the thing. Ruth was a widow. Okay, we learned that from week one. Ruth was a widow. She had been in mourning for some time. And widows wore certain clothes. They dressed a certain way in the mourning period. And, and this may have been why Boaz didn't make any moves. Remember, we learned that Boaz was a man of integrity, right? He was a respectable man. And so seeing Ruth dressed a certain way, he probably would have noticed, yeah, she's in mourning. I'm not going to go there, right? So what was Naomi telling Ruth? Hey, Ruth, 
It's time to move on. It's time to move on with your life. Time to move forward. So she comes up with this plan and tells her to go the, to the threshing floor to do it discreetly. Don't let anyone see you. Wait until Boaz is full. Wait until he's in good spirits. And so, ladies, what's the best way to communicate with a man? When's the best time? After he's eaten. I'll talk about the drinking later. <laughs> But we're learning some things about Naomi here. She's smart, right? She's sort of scheming. Um, She's very strategic in this, planning all this out, right? Well, what was Ruth supposed to do after she got there? Verse uh, verse 4, excuse me. When he lies down, note the place where he is lying. So, look, I want you to picture this. Others were there. It's not just Boaz. The threshing floor was a, a large place. And so there would have been others there, Boaz's workers. So, yeah, it's dark. You need to watch where Boaz lays lays down, you know. You don't want to go to the wrong guy, right? Then go, oh, here's the plan. Go uncover his feet and lie down. He will tell you what to do. Ruth says, I will do whatever you say. All right, here's the big plan. You ready? When he goes to sleep, creep up slowly and uncover his feet. That's the plan. What? (laughs) What? Why? Husbands, what's one of the biggest complaints from your wife's in bed? Oh, man, I should have rephrased that. Oh, man, I'm sorry. No second service. I can't fix that one. All right, what's one of the biggest complaints from your wives? Let me just say that. My feet are cold, right? My feet are cold. We hear that all the time, don't we? And it's like they're being tortured. Like they scream out, and you're like, what's wrong? Oh, my feet are cold. Right? So look, look, just think about this with me. At the top of a hill, exposed to the elements, in the middle of the night, when the temperature gets very, very, very cold, what's the most gentle, nice way to wake somebody up? Pull the blanket off their feet, right? And just allow them to wake up. Right? You just don't go in there charging and screaming, wake up. No. Lift the warm blanket off the feet, and eventually the person will wake up. Look, Naomi was very clever in this, wasn't she? And as strange as this sounded to Ruth, she said what? I'll do it. I'll do whatever you say. She was willing to go undercover. I meant to say that one. <laughs> but you see here, Ruth, was, she was following the advice of Naomi, right? She was following it to the letter, and she was, what was she doing? Taking advantage of an opportunity. There was an opportunity in front of her, 
and she was willing to take it. Look, like Ruth, we need to take advantage of opportunities in our life. We do. We need to see opportunities as not just random occurrences that are out there, but as gifts from God, doors that God has placed in front of us. Remember, we sort of talked about this last week. God opens, the, he places the doors, he opens them, it's up to us to walk through them. God parts the water, it's up to us to walk through the other side. If you're waiting, here's what I know happens. If you wait so long, you don't do anything. You're sort of like paralyzed. You're sort of afraid to move forward. You're hesitant. When too much time passes, you really lose motivation to move on. But God doesn't work that way. He presents opportunities to us, and it's up to us to take advantage of those opportunities. It is. Uh, John Ortberg, who is a pastor, uh, says, if you want to walk on water, you have to step out of the boat. That's so true. Some of you need to hear that today. Some of you need to hear that to, it's time to move on, to move forward to start taking advantage of opportunities. Like we talked about last week, hope involves looking up to God and looking forward and moving forward in your life. God has a plan and a purpose for you, for each one of us. And he doesn't just place you there, right? He doesn't just pick you up and place you where he wants you, no. You have a responsibility to act. As you're awaiting, you can maintain hope by seizing those opportunities, by having small wins in your life, by taking steps on the stepping stones on the path that God wants you to take. The whole book of Ruth is about God's sovereignty. It is, but it's also about this. It's about taking risks. I don't know if you've noticed that. It's filled with risk-taking. Look, real faith always involves real risks. It does. I would encourage you, take those risks, take those opportunities. Well, you might say this, here's the big question. How do I know what risk to take? Right? How do I know what's right and what's wrong? Sometimes that's tricky. Sometimes it's not black and white. But the important thing is what I want to talk to you about next. Whatever you do, make sure that you maintain godly character. Maintain godly character. While we act and take advantage of opportunities, it's important that we avoid falling into temptation and charging into sin. Look at verse 7. When Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he went over to lie down at the far end of the grain pile. Ruth approached quietly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. So Boaz is done for the night. You see, he's had his fill, he's satisfied, he's full, he's had his drink, and now he's ready to hit the hay, right? Um, he finds a good spot that, look, just happened just happened to be at the far end of the grain pile, you see? You see how God's sort of involved in this process? So Ruth approached quietly, and she uncovered his feet. You know, she's not to be seen here. She can't be seen. If she's seen, her reputation would be ruined. Now, not just her reputation, but Boaz's too. You see, the threshing floor was a place for prostitutes to go. You know, they knew that there would be lots of men up there celebrating, eating, drinking. It was a place for them to go and, and make extra money. If she's seen, it could ruin her reputation. So she, she had to be discreet in doing this. Verse 8, 
In the middle of the night, something startled the man. He turned, and there was a woman lying at his feet. Anybody wake up to anything weird? All right. Um, Have you ever been startled out of your sleep? My kids, I tell you, my two youngest ones, my two oldest ones didn't do this. They would always announce when they were coming into the room, you know, that mom, dad, my two youngest ones, no. You know, I wake up and they're just at the side of the bed staring at me. (laughs) Please say something next time. That is scarier than, all right, oh, I got to tell you this. I got to tell you this, um, me and Angela, so back when we moved to Tazel, so, so some years ago, um, I, I had a bad dream, you know, and I'd never have bad dreams, but I had a dream that a burglar was breaking in, and it was this wild looking guy, you know, burly guy with big hair, all right, so while I'm having this dream, apparently Angela had gotten up and went to the restroom, Okay. And I don't know if she meant to do this, but, you know, she, she sort of halfway shut the door, all right, as she got up. So as she comes back, there's a halfway door open, you know. So she runs into it, and it hits, it hits the wall really hard, and it makes this loud bang. So, look, I'm having this dream at the same time. And the bang wakes me up. And so I see what I see, what it looks like, Gene Simmons. Um <laughs> busting through the door and so I'm thinking I gotta defend myself and so I picked the closest thing to me which happened to be a pillow not a soft pillow it was more like a couch pillow you know it was square it was really dense and uh, I picked it up and threw it as hard as I could at the doorway and nailed her no, I'm talking about probably 15, 20 feet. Perfect aim. And so after this, after I come to my senses, I kept thinking, that was awesome. I mean, I woke up out of a dead sleep within a half second and threw like a ninja throwing star this pillow and nailed her. And, uh, you know, Angela's thinking, you mean to tell me if a burglar broke in, you'd attack him with a pillow? Anyway, so Boaz here was startled, woke up, and there's a woman at your feet, right? How crazy would that be? Ruth 3.9, Boaz says, who are you? She says, I'm, a, I'm your servant, Ruth. Spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are a guardian redeemer of our family. So it's dark, picture this. It's dark. Boaz can't see very well. He says, who's there? Ruth tells him, it's, it's her. I'm your, I'm your servant. I'm the one who's been working for you. And then she goes off script here. We've we got to understand this. We've got to notice this. Remember, Naomi gave her specific instructions. You go and you do this, and he will tell you what to do. Right? She doesn't say mention this. Ruth goes on by herself. She's completely on her own now, and she says, spread the corner of your garment over me. What? I mean, doesn't that sound risque? That sounds like bedroom talk, doesn't it? 
What's she saying here? I mean, was she making an indecent proposal? Was she cold? I mean, what, what is she trying to say? She was literally saying this, put your blanket over me. Um, in the ancient Near East, if a man wanted to propose to a woman, he threw a blanket on her. Sounds funny, <laughs> right? Not over, not over her head or anything like that. <laughs> you know, more like a cape, I guess, you know. You guys are tough this morning. But, so that's what the man would do, right? He'd take a, a blanket and wrap it around her. And, and this was symbolizing you are coming under my protection, my provision. But who's doing the proposal here? Ruth. She is proposing to him. Isn't that crazy? She's actually asking for Boaz's hand in marriage. And this woman is not just a hard worker. She's bold, right? She's pretty bold. But look, she asked Boaz to marry her not just because she was into him or that he was into her, but why? She said, since you are our family's guardian redeemer, will you marry me? What does that tell us about Ruth's request? Who's she thinking about? Not just herself. She's thinking about Naomi, right? She's thinking about Naomi's family in this. And a major reason for the use of the guardian redeemer rule was so that families could continue. You see, a lot of times widows, they just didn't get remarried. And complete bloodline families would die out. The guardian redeemer allowed families to continue. So Ruth's request involved those things, things greater than herself. Well, how would Boaz respond? Verse 10, the Lord bless you, my daughter, he replied. This kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. You have not run after the younger men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all that you ask. All the people of my town know that you are a woman of noble character. So Boaz responded to Ruth's request in an interesting way here. He recognized that she was asking him to marry her, not just for her sake, right? But for Naomi's sake and for the, for the sake of their family's future. So what he's saying here is that what you're asking and, and the way you're going about doing it is very honorable. It's very noble. You've been an honorable woman. You haven't gone after the younger good-looking guys, right, in this. And Ruth was not looking after her own interests. She set aside her personal preferences for the sake of her family. And she was making a reputation for herself. It was not going unnoticed either. Everybody started to notice Ruth's character, that she was a woman of good character. You know, a lot of bad things could have happened in this situation with Boaz, couldn't it? I mean, it's dark. She's alone, all alone with a prominent guy at the far end of the grain pile. She's dressed to kill. She's smelling good. And now she's crawling under the covers. Right? And then they start talking like all this romantic talk. You know, spread your blanket over me. Oh, everybody in town knows how wonderful you are, my love. You know, Pepe Le Pew talk. 
A lot of things could have went wrong. I want you to see that, right? But Ruth and Boaz displayed godly character. Um, Ruth did not do like her ancestors. Some of you all know this. Some of you may not. Ruth was a Moabite. You know what Moabites were? Uh, Descendants of an incestual relationship between Lot and his oldest daughter. Way back. Way back. So Lot had a little too much to drink. Uh, His oldest daughter slept with him. They didn't have a family to continue. The oldest daughter took it into her own hands to see that it happened. And so their descendants were the Moabites. That was where Ruth came from. You see the difference with what Ruth did in this? Ruth didn't go there at all. And you know what? Neither did Boaz. Guys, listen up. We can learn a lot from what Boaz did. Didn't take advantage of a woman with a need, with a desire. He drank, but he wasn't drunk. He was still in control. He was still able to make rational decisions. He didn't take advantage of Ruth at all. You know, in the time of Judges, which is when this story takes place, when it says every person did what they thought was right, these two, Ruth and Boaz, did what God thought was right. They maintained godly character. You know, when we are waiting, we're te- we will be tempted to get ahead of God. We will be tempted to go outside of God's plan. We may be tempted to take advantage of opportunities the wrong way. All right. When we're waiting, we might be tempted to bend the rules. I've been there. You know, you might be looking at getting married again. You might be wanting to get married for the first time so bad. What are you willing to do to see that through? You might have a a business and the business could do better. Your business might be tanking out. What are you willing to do to pull your business up? You might need a job. You might be jobless or you might be starting off you know, on the ground level of your job, what are you willing to do to climb the corporate ladder? What are you willing to do for the promotion? You know, college, you might be in college right now, and it is stressing you out, and it's tough. I know, I've been there. What are you willing to do to pass? All right. What are you willing to do to finish? Young people, you might be in a relationship right now, What are you willing to do to stay in that relationship? What are you willing to do to find acceptance in that? What are you willing to do to get the other person to try to make them love you? You see, there's boundaries that we need to set up in our lives. And we need to maintain godly character. This is what God's looking for, is consistent godly character no matter what situation you're in. It's consistent. God will honor that if you do that. So Ruth told Boaz that he would do it, that he would do what Ruth asked for. But here's the thing. Things don't always go as planned, do they? (laughs) You know, things are going one way. We're thinking, yeah, yeah, this is looking good, right? I'm excited about this, but then something else happens. Things don't always go smoothly. The last thing I want you to write down. 
in those moments, we need to trust in God regardless of obstacles. Trust in God regardless of obstacles. And Ruth's daring attempt seemed to have paid off, or at least that's what she thought. All right, stay with me here. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be finishing out pretty soon. Verse 12, Boaz says this, Although it is true that I am a guardian redeemer of our family, there is another who is more closely related than I. Uh-oh. So even though Boaz agreed to help Ruth, he drops a bombshell on her that she wasn't expecting at all. He knows of another guardian redeemer, another relative that is closer to Naomi than what he is. Well, what about this love story, right? I'm sort of reading into this and we sort of start making our own ending and having these feelings and we, Ruth and Boaz, you just look at that and you want them to be together, don't you? I mean, that's what everything's pointing to. That's the happy ending. That's what Ruth and Naomi were thinking, right? That's what we all were thinking. Then there's this twist in the story that nobody's sort of expecting. After Boaz dropped the bombshell, he said this, verse 13, stay here for the night and in the morning, if he wants to do his duty as your guardian redeemer, good. Let him do it. Let him redeem you. But if he's not willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I will do it. Lie here until morning. So just think about this. Put yourself in Ruth's shoes. Ruth got the news that she wanted, right? And then she got the news that she wasn't expecting. Within a matter of moments. And then she had all night to think about it. You think she got any sleep that night? Probably not. Yeah. The next morning, Ruth and Boaz go their separate ways. Ruth went back home to tell Naomi what happened. Ruth told her what took place and that, look, I, Naomi, I did everything that you asked. I followed all your instructions. This is what Boaz said, and then he told me this. And she probably told her how confused she was, how hurt she was, how concerned she was, how worried. Well, what would Naomi say? Would she be worried too? How would she react? Would she start to panic? Would she say, oh, no, that's not what I wanted to happen? Verse 18. Naomi said, wait. Wait, my daughter. Wait until you find out what happens. For the man will not rest until the matter is settled today. Wait. Is Naomi's response to Ruth. See what happens. You can trust. You can have faith. Well, in this, Naomi had this trusting confidence that things will work out in the end. And, you know, next week we'll, we'll see how this story sort of ends. Look, as I finish up, I don't know what you're going through today. I hear from some of you throughout the week, so I sort of know. But all of you, I don't. You may be encountering obstacles in your life right now. You may feel that the odds don't look good, that the odds are not in your favor, that the odds are actually against you. I know sometimes in life it feels that way. But with God on your side, I have to tell you the odds are in your favor. They are. Like Naomi told Ruth, I just have to tell you this morning, have confidence while you wait. Trust in God while you wait. Things might not always happen how you want them to happen, 
when you want them to happen. But in the end, your life is in good hands with a good God. Amen? I think we can leave that there today. Obstacles and things that you know, go differently in our life are not a sign of things that are not going to happen. Obstacles are simply things that happen in our life so that we will place our trust in God. They're actually signs meant to point us to God. That's what obstacles are. I don't know what you're facing today, but I promise you this, the Lord does. God does. He knows. And here's what I know too. He knows your situation better than you do. Jesus came to this world and was human. We know that, right? We understand that, right? That's what Christmas is sort of all about. He was like us in every way, tempted like we are, faced everything that we faced, went through everything that we do. He faced obstacles just like you and me. The obstacle, the thing in your life that you're facing right now, Jesus faced that. You know, he waited 30 years for ministry. Have y'all waited 30 years on anything? That's a long time. He waited three years doing ministry to do what he came to do. After making his grand entrance into Jerusalem, he waited five days before he went to the cross. When he was arrested, he waited a whole night. He spent in prison. He spent six hours on the cross. He waited six hours. And waited three days to come out of the grave. It's a lot of obstacles, isn't it? A lot of transition. A lot of waiting. And you know what he did each and every time? Things like this. Not my will, but your will be done. Things like this when he was on the cross. Father, into your hands I give my spirit. You see, no matter what you're going through in life, no matter what obstacle you're facing, you can trust God with it, with your life. That's what Jesus did. Will you do that today? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for today. I thank you for this message and understanding that hope, we can have hope in our lives and we can maintain hope no matter what we face. Father, help us to take advantage of opportunities that you place before us, to move forward in faith, to take risks and to put our faith and our hope in you. Father, help us as we move forward to live with um, godly character, to make sure that we are um, being more like you, that we are doing the things that you want us to do and avoiding the, the things that you want us to avoid in our lives. Father, help us to see obstacles as moments in our lives where we just need to go all out, step out of the boat, and trust in you completely with their eyes fixed upon you. And when we do that, we can walk on water and we can weather any storm that this life may bring. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. 
who not only did all these things for us, but showed us that with faith in you, all things are possible. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.